what's the biggest issue that each person needs to solve in their life? Biggest issue? Um, I mean, I look at more as a pragmatic way, like survival. For sure. You know, like um, employment, supporting a family, putting food on the table. That's what I. That's what I would think. Some yeah. people are kind of looking more towards just money would be the biggest issue, or being in shape, or losing weight, or you know anything. I think just kind of finding what you know makes you happy is kind of the the hardest thing for people to find out. Uh, anxiety. I think like a lot of people have anxiety over like school or like parents like stress I related. I think it's like more to do with. Uh, Suffering, just like uh, the Dalai Lama, how Buddha talks about suffering, uh, it goes down pretty deep because everybody experiences suffering in their own kind of way, right? And uh, there's no way of avoiding it, so it's best to just be mindful about it. And there are many ways to practice this, so through meditation, mindfulness training, and stuff like that. I actually wanted to go to Tibet to reach out to find my inner self, like you know the pathway to my like life, what it, the true meaning behind life is. So yeah, it has to do with suffering and it goes down really deep because I started reading a lot about mindfulness and there's a lot of scientific research that supports the evidence that mindfulness does help in terms of anything, anxiety that you experience in everyday life. And, so, yes. so I guess the solution to suffering is being mindful of it. Being mindful, yeah. Life in this world is very hectic now this time, there's a lot of trouble, but if you believe in God, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's easy to, uh, you know, to overcome those things. around and see moments of love but there is never total fulfillment like a seesaw teetottering moving back and forth having glimpses of love glimpses of fulfillment but never quite content like something is missing and in a nagging a void what is this void and how can we fill it if I say get over it ignore it or just be positive, would it change the situation? If I said, that's life until you die, would you accept it because you sure won't live like it? If I said it is God who falls it, would it make sense and would you care? 
To illustrate this, let me tell you a story of a man called Adam. He is an amalgamation of many out there. You could be one of them. At the end of his life, he went on this quest to fill this inner void that plagued him his entire life. He looked at the lives of the various religious founders through the ages and found that Buddha had spent much of his life trying to fill this void through abstinence and meditation, but still couldn't fill it. Now Muhammad spent much of his life trying to kill those who refused to listen to him, but still the void wasn't filled, and he ended up in a place separated from God called Brajah, meaning separation, void. There was only one who filled this void for Adam. But before I tell you who or what it is, let me tell you his story. Adam was educated in the best schools, attended the most recognized education institutions in the world, and as a young child, he recognized this inner void. This inner void caused him to do wrong, to destroy, to fear the unknown. It was never satisfied, like a raging lion that needed to be fed, but was never full. He turned to sex and more of it. It didn't happen as frequent, therefore he sought it elsewhere through other relationships, pornography, and going to gentlemen's clubs. It seemed to satisfy him like honey, but moments later he regretted it and it was like gravel in his mouth. He was no gentleman, more like a ravaging wolf, all in secret, just hoping his family never found out. He heard that education was the key to success. He thought success filled the void, so he heaped up letters behind his name, giving him access to new and many avenues. He initially liked being called doctor, professor, but it was short-lived. He also heard that having a beautiful wife was the answer. It wasn't the answer, because he had a few, and he still wasn't satisfied. Now he focused on the market and financial trends, making money and making lots of it. He had cars and houses, a good healthy bank balance, but he wanted more. He wanted more of everything, especially more money. So he gathered up and heaped up his fortune. He went faster and faster with no end. And when he thought he had arrived, he was still unsatisfied and grew worse. He was busy, busy, busy. It was like he was being dragged through life and missing it. As he grew older, his friends started dying around him. And he started asking, what is the point to life? Why do I still feel so unsatisfied? What is this inner nagging, this inner void? When he was younger, he seemed happier than now. But the older he grew, the more rejected and bitter he felt. It was harder to please him. Negativity was gripping him on every side. Yes, he had a lot of people around him, but he was lonely and getting older. He did everything in his power to stay young. Eat properly, get plastic surgery, get anti-aging treatments, but as soon as he did, he needed to do it again like a hamster on the wheel of the inevitable. 
People around him told him to be positive and do yoga. So he purchased New Age Guru tapes, did some yoga and listened to some motivational speakers. Then stood looking into a mirror saying, You're good looking. You're young. You can do it. Be positive. I am positive. You're the man. While in his mind he heard the words, Kill yourself, you hypocrite. Instead of feeling positive, he felt more possessed, like he was in a downward spiral of hypocrisy. Where was he going? What was he doing? Now he lost his job. They say retired, but that's another word for I don't want what you have to offer. You're too old. He felt pushed aside by society, useless, and his money was running out fast. He didn't want to depend on anyone and kept thinking how long he could survive until his money ran out. Is this what life ends up being? Thrown away and empty? Drained away trying to survive? Is this life? Drugs, drugs, more drugs. But unlike hardcore drugs where some go to find moments of relief, also trying to fill there in a void, Adam was more discreet. Way more discreet. He had his doctor friend prescribe him whatever he wanted. And when he didn't want to abuse his doctor-patient relationship, he went to over-the-counter drugs to give him a righteous buzz, still trying to push to fill this inner void, but felt miles away. There were many times that he used his prescription as an excuse, but at the same time definitely didn't want anyone's pity. This brought him to a moral turning point to look outward. He started helping people by giving money to the poor and to charities. It did feel good, for a time. Then afterwards, he started judging those who didn't give and also judging those who received what he had given. They appeared to be an ungrateful bunch, never satisfied, just like him. Their thankfulness seemed false, unsatisfying. It was like water off a duck's back. So he went to mosques, synagogues, temples and churches. He sat trying to get something, but didn't know what, just hoping that religion was the answer to the void. But those who he met were broken just like him, having smiling, worn-out faces, trying to say something opposite to how they really felt. At the same time, he looked at some of the celebrities he admired, who seemed to have it all. Fame, friends, fancy cars, more houses, and more money. Why weren't they satisfied? They too were trying to fill their inner void. To what extent? The void was like blood in the water to sharks. It called dark forces of fear, and depression crept in like a predator, seeking to devour its prey. The void became all-consuming, and they all ended up killing themselves, just like his friend, Robin Williams. Adam had spent most of his life trying to fill this inner void, but still couldn't fill it. As a result, 
it caused him to feel dirty, unholy, and downright sinful. No one needed to tell him this. He knew it. Comparing himself to others was a laugh. They all had their hang-ups. But now, what came next? History is full of people turning their inner void into bitterness and hatred towards others. This is the final stage of self-hatred. He used to advocate that educating people about the horrors in history like World War II, the Holocaust, would in some way drive a sense of empathy in the hearts of the people so that it wouldn't happen again. It didn't work. Self-hatred drives people to make others look worse than themselves and if they can't beat them, they kill them. Even recently we have Islamists, not radical, but real Muslims doing as their founder did. They too struggle to fill the inner void and believe in doing what their founder did that they would in some way have meaning, fill the void. This inner void sees people as nothing, worthless, and doesn't see them as they really are. Precious. Very precious. No end to this void. No end to the evil. No end. There are moments of joy in hatred, but it soon vanishes and requires more. More blood, more pain, more suffering. To what extent? To what extent? As Adam reflected on death, he wondered what the point was. Death comes to all, richer and poor, great and small, high and low, young and old. It shows personal favoritism to no one. Even the beautiful tombs and the graves that litter the fields express nothing of the person's life. So much potential, so much talent. Some even sacrifice bodies in various forms in the hope that it will improve the person's life hereafter. As he pondered on the possibility of the life hereafter, he wondered if life was one big testing ground for the beyond, and success would be either trying to fill the void, like he was doing, or is it actually filling it? Because only filling it would give a sense of peace to face the beyond. Now if there's no life after death, then it makes no difference. But if there is, then it makes every difference in the world. So what are doctors and scientists saying about the death experience? What happens just after death? Well, as the name near-death experience implies, these people have some event in which they are severely physically compromised. Generally, there's a severe physical malady that occurs very suddenly often or at the end of a chronic illness. Near-death experiences are very frequently associated with cessation of heart function or cessation of breathing function, and very often both. And given that 10 seconds after that, that the EEG, a measure of brain electrical activity, goes absolutely flat, it's medically inexplicable that near-death experiencers are having a conscious experience. There's so much more evidence behind something more going on with near-death experiences, something that is not medically explicable. 
there are blind people, including people that are blind from birth, that have near-death experiences, and for most of them it's a visual experience. That is absolutely medically inexplicable. These are people that are blind that for the first experience in their life where they've had vision and can see things in the world was during their near-death experience. There is no other explanation for that. Time and time again we hear accounts of people that have their near-death experience and their consciousness separates from their body. So from a vantage point of their consciousness apart from their body they're able to see and hear what's going on around them while they're being resuscitated. Uh, very often they can see incredible detail of, this, of the events going on around them. Out of all the near-death experiencers that I've studied that had their consciousness come apart from their body and where they were seeing earthly everyday events, uh, essentially all of them, what they describe, has been absolutely plausible. And of all the near-death experiencers I've seen who actually went and sought out verification of what they saw while their consciousness was apart from the body, uh, every single time, with only one exception, what they saw was as, or heard was absolutely correct. And there is no explanation for that, for consciousness apart from the body at the time you're having a cardiopulmonary arrest. To people that think that near-death experience is not legitimate, I would remind them that there's at least 12 to 15 million Americans that have had near-death experience. The near-death experience is, in fact, the dying experience. We will all have this experience when we die. The interpretation of the experience is in dispute. Nevertheless, it's a scientific fact, not a belief system, that we will have this experience when we die. There have been three major scientific studies of near-death experiences in the last 15 years. And all three of these studies document that these experiences are real and they'll happen to us all when we die. So the old ideas that these experiences are caused by a lack of oxygen to the brain or are hallucinations caused by chaos in the brain at the point of death are caused by the drugs that are given uh, to uh, patients uh, that we resuscitate uh, when we're dying. Those ideas um, were, of course, respectable scientific theories, but turned out to not be true. In fact, near-death experiences are the dying experience. And that's a scientific fact, not an opinion. So for Adam, the biggest problem in this world wasn't global warming. It wasn't famine or starvation. It wasn't even a lack of education. Neither was it a lack of money. It wasn't even sickness or cancer. Neither was it world peace or even physical death. The biggest problem he faced was filling this void, for this void dictated how he lived and what happened to him when he died. This void is, and always was, Adam's separation from God. Who can pay for Adam's rebellion against God? Who can reconcile him? Only then the inner void can be filled. But what happens if Adam doesn't find the answer in time? I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I was pulled out of my body 
like being sucked out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air, and I landed in this actual prison cell in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars, uh, filthy, stinking, dirty prison, like a dungeon. Yeah. Now, this was an out-of-body experience. This was okay. uh, a vision, okay? Right. Uh, I've never had one like this before. But anyway, it was actually a prison cell. And uh, there were these demonic creatures in this cell. What were they like? Reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over their bodies. Yeah. Uh, these particular two were about 12 or 13 feet tall. There's even scripture for that, but... Um, Did they look like anything that you've ever seen a picture of? Yes. <clears throat> they ha they, there are some depictions that are pretty accurate. Uh, one was in uh, Dr. Kenneth Hagin's testimony that uh, John Osteen's church showed about a demon that he saw. Dr. Kenneth Hagin. What did they do to you? Or did they do anything? They were, first of all, they were blaspheming and cursing God. They had an extreme hatred for God. All right. They were deformed, twisted, grotesque creatures. And then they directed that hatred towards me. And I wondered, why? What have I done to them? But the one picked me up, threw me into the wall. Tremendous strength. I collapsed on the floor. I felt bones broken. Yeah. The other one dug his claws into my chest, tore the flesh open. You have a body in hell, but it can withstand this torment. And uh, they had absolutely no mercy, an extreme hatred for God and for man. No mercy at all? None. No. Not any. All right. When you were in the cell by yourself with these creatures, was there anybody else around? At this point, I was alone, yeah. just with these creatures. And they began tormenting me. I did feel pain, but I understood most of it was being blocked. And the Lord explained to me on the way back that he did allow me to feel some of the pain to relate to people that it's not metaphorical or allegorical. It's not a state of the mind. It's real literal pain you're going to feel in hell. Well, what about the lake of fire thing? Were you, was there fire somewhere? Yes, I was taken out of the cell and I was placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. Mm -hmm. This pit was not the lake of fire talked about in Revelation 2013 through 15, but it's the current hell, Sheol. And this, this pit was just a huge uh, hole in the ground with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And again, it wasn't metaphorical or allegorical, real literal flames. And Pat, this is where I could first see people. There were people literally inside this pit burning. It's the most awful sight to see a person on fire, burning, screaming. The screams were so loud from just millions of people at the top of their lungs screaming. What were they, what were they saying? Nothing. They, you just can't screaming. say anything. You're, You're just screaming agony. in agony. There's no conversation. You don't get to be with people. You're kept isolated and apart. And the, the demons are tormenting people. Uh, you, you have no conversation. The, the smells are so foul and putrid, the most disgusting odors. And you're actually breathing in sulfur. And uh, mm -hmm. sulfur that's burning is actually toxic. So I wondered, how could it be alive breathing this toxic, foul air? But you continue living. Uh, there's not enough air to breathe either. So you have to fight and gasp for even the tiniest bit of oxygen. What about water? No water. There's not a drop of water. I, I was so thirsty. Just a drop would have been precious like the rich man wanted in yeah, Luke 16. Yeah. But you'll never get that drop. That, that rich man's still waiting for that drop. Well, well those people, you know, you'd think that they would uh, expire, that they would die. But apparently they can't die. The body you're equipped with in hell... It, you live forever because, you know, we're made eternal beings yes. in God's image. And so our soul is eternal. It won't die. You know, like the burning bush. Remember, mm -hmm. you saw it burning and it didn't, wasn't consumed. That's something like what it's like in hell with your body. It can withstand these torments. And you want to die. I wanted to die, but you can't die. You know, that's the most horrible thing when you think about it, just to think that there's no end, that there is no end. Well, Pat, that was the worst part. 
I understood that I'll never get out. Uh-huh. Never. And to know you'll be there for all eternity without hope. You know, Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. You have no hope for Jesus because it's too late for them. The decision's final. And that's really the worst part, knowing you're not ever going to get out. You know, that, that, that just grabs people's hearts. I hope the people listening to your testimony will understand what that is. There isn't anything more horrible where you have no hope, no future, nothing except constant pain and torment forever. It's the most horrible thing. People's minds can't even imagine the horrors of hell. Your mind can't even go there. Any one of these things would kill you. And, and the darkness. I only could see a little bit through the flames. But the darkness is, just consumes any of the light from the flames. It is so dark that you can actually feel the darkness. Exodus 10.21 talks about a darkness that may be felt. Yeah. So that's not an exaggeration. Because there's so much evil and wickedness in this place. There's no love of any kind. You understand you're never going to get rescued. There's no angels to protect you. There's no one to talk to. You're not going to get out of this place. No one to talk to. There's no, no fellowship. None. You know. None. You're not going to get out. You're not going to People think there's going to be a lot of their buddies in hell. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You're alone. You're alone forever. Forever. And that's why people need to know how important this decision is to make that we have in life here. You know, we serve a loving God. He doesn't want anybody to go to this place. It was made for the devil and his angels, not for man. But man will go there because God loves man so much he gave him a free will to choose. Yeah. You know, and he said, uh, your own words will condemn you. Did you have finally cried to Jesus? How would you get out? Well, when I was viewing all this torment and people burning in the fire... I began being lifted up through this tunnel, mm-hmm. and that's where this bright light appeared. Suddenly, this bright light. I knew immediately who it was. I didn't see his face, but I saw the outline of a man standing in this bright, pure, holy light, yeah. like no light I've ever seen. And I immediately knew who it was, and I just cried out his name, Jesus. And he said, I am. Yeshua the Messiah, also known as Jesus the Christ, said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Who is the Messiah? Who is this Yeshua? 